Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Almost one quarter of all new HIV diagnoses in the United States occur among individuals aged 13 to 24 years. These youths have the poorest HIV care continuum outcomes, yet few empirical youth-specific data are available. Out of this need bore the Strategic Multi-Site Initiative for the Identification, Linkage, and Engagement in Care of HIV-Infected Youth, or SMILE Collaborative. The collaborative includes the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, the Adolescent Medicine Trials Network for HIV AIDS Interventions, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Health Resources and Services Administration. Recently published data from the SMILE collaboration found that the HIV care continuum is poor for adolescents and young adults attending urban HIV care centers. Today I'm speaking with the lead author on this study, Dr. Bill Capogiannis, who is a physician scientist and medical officer in the Maternal and Pediatric Infectious Disease Branch of the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Capogiannis. Let's dive into your study. For the SMILE Collaborative, you and your colleagues analyzed data from 13 to 24-year-olds seeking care at 13 urban HIV care centers in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit more about this analysis and how it came about? Sure. So it dates back quite a while, and the impetus for us in doing this collaborative intervention was to to try to stem the tide of uh, the disproportionate impact of HIV uh, and its consequences in adolescents and young people in the United States. And uh, for decades now, we've we've had uh, this disproportionate effect on young people, and particularly those of uh, racial and ethnic uh, as well as sexual minorities that are, are disproportionately impacted. And so we got together, and it was actually at a, a research conference for HIV in Boston, and, and we kind of strategized with my colleagues at CDC. And at the time, we, we said we really need to figure out how to get young people who are living with the virus and may not know they're infected in identified and tested. And if they're positive, then to be able to link them to care in the most age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate way possible so that we can forge a, a lasting bond that, that will bring them not only to a clinician but to sort of sustain them through care to improve their likelihood of taking medicine when they need it and, and then stay healthy. Uh, so that was that was how this collaboration across the agencies was formed, and it was actually coincidental with then President Obama's national HIV AIDS a strategy that sort of started coming down the pike and became the, the first national AIDS strategy, which had uh, requested the collaboration across agencies to uh, address the HIV epidemic, not just among youth, but among all of the communities affected by HIV across the U.S. So it was sort of coincidental 
but it was also because in the the demographic that is of my interest in young people, it was a, a very uh, dire need at the time. So that's the main background to how this was spurred on. So let's talk a little bit about your findings. Specifically, your team found that although youth are linked to care at a similar rate as adults, they didn't achieve the same rate of HIV viral suppression. What does this finding mean for clinical practice and how HIV is managed among youth? It really underscores the importance of the need to differentiate care approaches. And, you know, the buzzword differentiated care, you hear it thrown a lot in the um, HIV arena, particularly with populations that have special needs. And so what that really basically means is that, as you said, we we found that uh, that we have sometimes, in some cases, better linkage outcomes in this particular collaborative uh, to, to bringing youth in and identifying the infection and bringing them into uh, a care site. But then the challenge where the rubber met the road at the after they were in care is sort of getting them to form that bond with the clinic and stay in to, you know, coming back to the clinic and then starting antiretroviral therapy and then staying on antiretroviral therapy the way it's prescribed. And then, you know, if you do that, then you get suppressed, Uh, your virus is suppressed. So that, you know, that sort of the last few steps of what I just mentioned there were where where we met a lot of challenges. And it's, it's not surprising in the field, but, you know, the more specific challenges there are in a particular group. For example, in adolescence, there's a lot of challenge with adherence or the ability to take a medicine every day. You know, they're dealing with a lot of psychosocial instability or or chaos in their lives. You know, by nature, youth are kind of very fast moving, a lot of uh, dynamic activities in their lives. They're going to school, managing friendships. Some of them have jobs or or are looking for jobs and and obligations with family. They're managing a lot of transitions as they're developing and growing. And this leads to even more challenge with making sure you remember to take your medicines, especially if you don't feel unwell or if you don't feel sick. So all of that leads to less adherence. And I think sort of that disproportionate, even even less adherence than maybe in some older adults would do. So I think that's the, the main challenge is how to then target that part of the treatment cascade to help develop youth-friendly uh, approaches. And by youth-friendly, that's another way of me saying differentiating the approaches that are best tailored to their needs to get them to to come in routinely to then take the medicine as it's prescribed and then, you know, stay healthy. So what interventions do you think would improve outcomes or what interventions would you propose? Very good question. There's a lot of study in terms of what are specific questions that we need answered so that we can better care for these young people. So as I mentioned, one example is adherence interventions. So what can we do that we can rigorously study that will reproducibly improve a youth's uh, ability to continue to consistently take medications? So that, that would be called an adherence intervention. 
that is an example of something that needs more rigorous study to identify novel youth-friendly approaches that may or may not incorporate technology like mobile apps or things of that nature that that you know incorporate reminders or or you know sometimes um gamification uh interventions for example where you know they're playing sort of a, a video game and it and it helps kind of bring them and motivate them to to stay on top of their their medicine taking by getting points you know for example so to try to make it more appealing to a youth so that is sort of a a deep dive of a kind of intervention that would be focused on adherence um but there are many in that last part of the continuum that I mentioned because remember right before adherence is starting the medicine and before that is you know sustaining yourself in care or continuing uh, persisting with your appointments so that's that would be an intervention that's focused on something called retention in care and that may be slightly different but related to the adherence to medications you you may want to be texting them with appointment reminders staying in touch trying to to understand what's going on in their lives it's important to youth that they feel that bond that connection with the provider and that their lives matter to to who's on the other end of that phone and you know asking them about what's going on in their day for example may be very important and maybe the the one thing that makes that difference but you know to sort of study this in a systematic way and and figure out what are the key levers you've got to pull to make sure that to to help you connect and engage in care that's interesting you know there's this push for medicine to move toward multidisciplinary care do you think that there might be a role for a nurse navigator or maybe a social worker type liaison who specializes in treating children or adolescents yes so you're actually kind of honing into one of the main interventions that was part of smile the, the this paper that we're talking about is to try to find someone who for example a peer navigator someone who's young can youth can relate to you know understands all of the issues that they they need to to contend with and help navigate the the health system with them and so that form a connection and there are sort of individual scientists looking at some of these out in the community both in the US and even internationally at these kinds of models but i think you're right that does need further study because even in in our sort of large cohort here that we looked at a youth outreach worker for example that individual wasn't necessarily a young person so that's a variable that we may want to look at uh, in the next study as a peer navigator that may help them kind of connect and stay in care and whether that makes a difference. Absolutely. So with all of these results in mind, do you think the United States is on track to meet the end the HIV epidemic goals by 2030? I think it's a lofty goal. Uh I think any one of us that you you talk to with the goal of of that in mind would say this is lofty. I are we on track? I think Yes, we we have all of the tools, uh right? It it's uh you know, we we have the medications. We know that the antiretroviral medications work very well against HIV. So when someone has the virus, if you take the medicine, it, it 
biologically they work, and, and we know that. When someone's negative for HIV but is at risk of getting HIV, the pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is, again, an antiretroviral-based approach, uh, can, and we know, when taken regularly and, and uh, according to the doctor's prescription, can prevent HIV. So we, we have that tool for those who may be at risk. And so the main tools that one would hope for are there. Um, I think where we need to build is the implementation science area is how to is all of these things we've been talking about by the way they fall into the topic of the broad category of implementation research how do you implement effective interventions into a community that then all of these other variables are playing a role and you know affecting the outcomes at the end so it, that's you know the long and the short of it is i think we we are and but we can do better by really understanding how to best tailor these interventions to the communities at risk and to target the communities specifically in the geographies as the, the national plan, as you, you may be aware of the NDHIV epidemic, targeting the geography as well, uh, where most of the, the hotspots of uh, HIV may be. So, you know, you may be doing great with your resources, with your campaigns, and, and getting them out there. But if they're not reaching the right communities, then that's where, again, you can improve by the implementation science aspect. And overall, what would you say is the key take-home message from this analysis? The findings in this large cohort underscore the need to engage youth uh, who are particularly those who are newly diagnosed with HIV promptly from that very first point of contact and, and to kind of make sure that you you keep them in your radar and you're and you're in contact with them frequently from the beginning and in ways that as we were talking appeal to them that would make them probably more likely to respond uh, text messaging social media or t- you know trained peers etc so I think only only, you know, with this, I mean, this this uh, research study showed that if you do this, you know, the more promptly you did it, the better the ultimate viral suppression rate was. And I think that's sort of the key take home from this. But areas where we further need to study are those pieces that once you're in care, how do you get the drugs to take them better and adhere better? And those were the other pieces. There's the clinician part of me who, you know, has been doing this for two decades now and caring for youth with HIV. And the results that I have seen here are not necessarily surprising, but they were important to systematically evaluate. Despite the my clinical expectation, the, the systematic way that we sort of monitored this and implemented the study sort of poises us well for that next step to tailor the, the next intervention to study that addresses these areas of need. And I think as a funder of research at NICHD, so I, as I mentioned, I work in a, at the National Institutes of Health, and one of our main 
missions is is in this branch, particularly is to to address the HIV epidemic in young people, and we support the Adolescent Trials Network that you probably saw mentioned in the article this, that this was part of, and we're doing more in that area along the U.S. planned and uh, HIV epidemic with a focus on young people here. So specifically through the ATN, we are looking for proposals that address these kind of implementation science questions I was talking about. Thank you very much for sharing your insight on your study today. You're very welcome, and thank you for uh, your interest in, in this important question in the very priority area of youth affected by HIV in, in the U.S. I think this is a, a really important opportunity for us to get the word out and, and make sure that we reinvigorate our efforts to bringing attention to treating youth with with appropriate services to help them address HIV, both those who, among those who are at risk and those who are living with HIV to live healthier lives. And uh, ultimately, my, my hope is to bring forward, forth a, an AIDS-free generation. Thank you so much.